Boss board. Sup, y'all? Malcolm Powder here with episode 7 of the Smorgasbord, the podcast with many delights for your listening pleasure. Music and films are the main morsels of mind food coming at you on this installment of the Smorgasbord, my friends. Hip-hop DJ and producer Supremo Mr. Brown will be dropping in to tell us about his new album and how he's got Star Wars fatigue. That'll be in the second half of the show. First up, we have the wonderful Terry White. Terry is the editor of Empire Film Magazine, and she and I had a great chat about films we've enjoyed recently, as well as Terry's favourite band in the whole world. Enjoy! Terry White, welcome to the Smorgasbord. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks a million for your time. So you are the editor of Empire Magazine, one of the most well-known film magazines in the UK. And you've got a presence in America as well. Is that right? Yes. So we, um, the mag is kind of available all around the world, really. And we have a kind of a US offshoot website, which is its program locally over there. So wherever you go in the world, um, Empire is relevant to you. But yeah, we are very much a, a global a global brand so our our reach extends to the farthest bits of the universe excellent stuff so i remember not too far ago in the distant past people were sort of saying that the internet is going to kill off magazines but it seems as if a lot of the big ones and the good ones have continued to survive why do you think that is i think print mags have obviously become you know arguably less and less Bought, I suppose, by people, especially by younger people coming up. Um, I think, you know, when we were kids and you'd stand outside the newsagent waiting for Enemy or Smash It or Just 17 or whatever it was that floated your boat at the time, that that kind of behaviour doesn't really exist. But I think the best brands that have survived have really still probably got a print magazine at their heart. So if you think about Empire or GQ and actually but have embraced the new platforms, so have embraced digital, have embraced podcasts, have embraced social um, and it's really about working out how all of those things work together. But I think it definitely helps to have a quality magazine that people are willing to pay for. Because you do have to fight harder for people's money these days. And you have to really justify why people should spend it. And that means producing quality journalism that's worth the money, really. Uh, so I think if you're still doing that, then you've still got a magazine that can sell. But I think every every kind of modern brand has to get with it in terms of digital or, or you are going to die, unfortunately. A slow and miserable death. <laughs> nice. So um, moving on to films that you've watched recently, what have you watched in the last you know, couple of weeks that you've really enjoyed? So, I mean, it's a really, I mean, it's an amazing couple of weeks of film, actually, because obviously just last week, both Manchester by the Sea and La La Land came out on the same day. Okay. Which is kind of amazing, really. So uh, La La Land I saw during LFF um, at the end of last year. And I hate musicals. I'm not that big a fan of Brian Gosling or Emma Stone. Everything about it should not have worked for me at all. And I saw it in LFF and came out kind of absolutely full of joy and verve and vigour and hope and optimism, which is something quite disturbing. Um, and it's it's just it's as good as everybody said it is. It's completely magical. Um, I think it's an antidote to these awful, depressing soul-crushing times that we live in. And it's just, it's a wonderful experience. I've, I've saw it again last weekend. I'm probably going to try and see it again um, over the next couple of weeks. And then kind of at the other end of the spectrum, you've got Manchester by the Sea, um, which again is another five-star film, but it's 
uh, incredibly different. Obviously, it's it's this Casey Affleck as a man who um, comes back to his hometown to look after his um, nephew after his brother dies, and he kind of revisits past ghosts and past kind of trauma in his life. And it's you know it's an incredibly tra traumatic watch. Actually, it's really really difficult, but. The performances are incredible from Casey Affleck and from Michelle Williams. But yeah, tonally, it probably couldn't be further away from the <laughs> land if it tried. Yeah. I think you should probably watch the Casey Affleck one, then the La La Land one. Yes, yes. I think that's probably right, actually. Um, yeah, as a, as a kind of journey, if you're going to do them both in one day, yeah. that's definitely the way around to do it. I watched a film recently that I really, really enjoyed and I'm always late to the party with things like this, but I remember people talking about it when it came out, but I only recently got the chance to watch it myself. It follows. Do you know what? I didn't see that last year. Okay. The, yeah, the boys, um, I know it, it was a big Empire favourite actually and it was up for quite a few Empire Awards last year. Um, but yeah, what did you think? I really loved it. Like It was just so cool how it was kind of set in the modern day, but it had this really amazing 70s feel to it. It was like the way it was shot and the sets and stuff. It really felt like a, a sort of retro horror, you know, from kind of around the time of like uh, Halloween or something like that. And um, it had an amazing soundtrack and the story and the kind of whole premise was really well done. And like some of the kind of creatures in it are just really, really creepy. And they kind of stay with you, you know, after you've seen the film which is always a good sign of a good horror yeah so yeah i saw that recently and i liked it and i also saw a film that i know you have seen a kind of underground film that wasn't really talked about much last year uh ghostbusters oh ghostbusters yes yeah no nobody really had an opinion on that yeah yeah kind of just yeah sort of came and went you know without anybody really paying any attention to it which is a good thing uh, because i think you know if if assholes could have got a hold in this thing it could have been quite <laughs> unpleasant but anyway um and so obviously you know there's there's a lot of noise about this but there were people whose opinions i do value who said that they didn't enjoy it right and so I went in with low expectations and, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was, you know, a decent film. It was a watchable film and it was funny, had some good moments, had some good performances. I mean, we we gave it uh, three stars Empire and I think that was um, that was kind of the right call on it. And yeah, exactly. When you think about the vitriol um, that preceded it and I, I think it came from certain dark uh, corners of the internet and I think they weren't representative of film fans. I think sure. a lot was made of of it being fanboys who didn't want anybody touching their franchise. I think there was a very small amount of that actually being the case. I think actually what it was was with trolls who basically want any excuse to kind of spout their hatred. Yeah. Jumping on something and whipping something up that wasn't there. And, it, you know, it's incredibly depressing when you see um, kind of how extreme it got, especially, you know, with Leslie Jones. It's, it's absolutely horrific that the remake or a reboot of a film can... can kind of take people there but I think if you judge the film just as a film absolutely I thought there's some great performances um, and the, the effects I thought were actually really really impressive um, and some of it fell flat and not all of the lines worked um, and the chemistry didn't always work but I think on the whole it was a, a good film yep. and I think it certainly obviously didn't deserve the negative attention it, it received i think everybody lost their minds slightly i don't think i've ever seen people lose their minds like that over over essentially a movie yeah it's kind of crazy but i thought you know kate mckinnon was incredible and i think she really had a moment um in that movie and yeah i mean it's just a feel good good sunday afternoon movie you know nothing i don't think there's anything particularly groundbreaking in it other than you have four 
female actors taking leads that have been made famous or, or the types of roles that have been made famous by four men. Yeah. Um, other than that, I think it was, you know, it was a good film, but it didn't do anything hugely groundbreaking. Um, I was glad that you mentioned Kate McKinnon there because she was probably my biggest gripe with the film. Did you not like her? No, she was just doing this really forced, kind of kooky, hey, I'm so weird kind of thing that just drove me absolutely mad. She was like the thing I disliked the most about the film, to be honest. Oh, no, I loved her. Who who did you think turned in the best performance? I really liked. Kristen Vig, but I mean, I always like her. I think she's really funny. Um, I thought Leslie Jones, when she wasn't just shouting, yeah. uh, she was really good. And I thought that Melissa McCarthy was good because she w- wasn't like amazingly funny, but her kind of performance kind of held the whole thing together. You know what I mean? She was yeah. kind of she was the glue in the group. Like her character kind of was the, was the glue. Um, so you know, I thought the three of those were decent, but just yeah, Kate McKinnon. You know, I had to put her on the list with Jar Jar Binks and Short Round from Temple of Doom as the most annoying film character. Characters I've ever had to watch. <laughs> I love that. That's a running list you have. It is. And it's so diverse. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Moving on from motion picture movie films, um, I would like to speak to you about a topic that I know is very near and dear to you, and that is the music of Joy Division. Yeah. Now we're talking. Now we're talking, yeah. Forget all that other stuff. This is the important stuff. How did you get into Joy Division? It wasn't like that kind of traditional narrative of, you know, me sitting in my bedroom as a 14-year-old. I actually used to sit in my bedroom as a 14-year-old and listen to Bon Jovi quite a lot. Right. And watch WWE wrestling. So they kind of tortured teenager years um, past me by. And it was actually in my 20s, a guy I was going out with played me a Joy Division record, and I was kind of a bit, I was lost to them after that. And I think you tend to have that kind of reaction to Joy Division. You're either completely baffled and thinking, what's wrong with him? Why is he being so mardy? Or you kind of fall head over heels for them, and I was definitely in the latter category. What do you think are the good things about Joy Division's legacy? Because obviously they're a band that affected a lot of other bands. And obviously the most obvious part of their legacy was uh, New Order, which was a very, very different band to Joy Division Mm. in pretty much every way you can imagine. But what would you say was Joy Division's legacy? I think you're right in in New Order. And I actually think, you know, the events as they happened, kind of that was what made New Order go in such a different direction. I think there was no option for them but to completely have a rebirth essentially and you know they went to New York and they went to the house clubs out there and I know and the dance clubs that I think that influenced kind of where they went to and I think they had to kind of start completely afresh after what happened and you, you know when you think about essentially two albums what Georgia Vision achieved in those two records is is fairly astonishing and not you know not really in Ian's lifetime because Love Will Tear Us Apart was really successful after he died and Closer came out after he died. And and you never know, because obviously then everything is, is through the prism of this tragic incident, yeah. which amplifies whatever's going on around that record at the time. But I think they kind of had a such a singularity as a band in terms of their sound, um, both kind of the way, you know, if you think about the way Hooky played bass, which was pretty much unheard of at the time, and then what they did with producer Martin Hound in the studio, that that kind of the sound they created was really unique and fresh and had never been done before. And I think that kind of boldness they had in terms of I don't think they really gave a shit whether it was hugely successful or commercial at the time. 
Yeah. I think they just were committed to doing something that that was a particular alchemy of those people in the room. Sure. And I think that the work they've left behind is is kind of incredible, really. Absolutely, yeah, and its influence, you know, can be heard in lots of modern bands, you know, even now. Um, when it comes to filmic representations of Joy Division and of Ian Curtis, because I mean, there are two that jump to my mind: Twenty Four Hour Party People, yeah, and Control. Control. So, okay, so I saw Control first before Twenty Four Hour Party People, and obviously, I know they came out the other way around, but I saw Control pretty much immediately, yeah, and I loved. Control. Now, I do have a slight obsession with Sam Riley, which may have something to do with it. Okay. But I thought it was incredible. And obviously, Anton Corbin um, did it, and he'd obviously taken pictures of them during during their life before Ian died. And so it was it was the the cinematography was incredible, and it was almost like still photography. And Sam Riley's performance was absolutely astonishing. Like the way he got the kind of dance the frenetic dancing on stage and um the mannerisms and all of that when you see footage you know very rare footage um excessively and still on um on the internet it's just incredible actually the performance he puts in is remarkable and you know samantha morton as, as deborah curtis she's kind of heartbreaking so i love that film i've probably seen it about 20 times now, 24 hour party people I saw afterwards, and I absolutely hated it. Like, hated it, hated it, hated it. Wow. Mainly because Steve Coogan was, I just couldn't see past him being Alan Partridge. <laughs> right. And I realised that there may have been some parallels between Tony, Tony Wilson and Alan Partridge at times. Right, yeah. But I couldn't get past it. And then, because I think Sam was such an amazing Ian, I just didn't buy... It was such a different depiction in 24-Hour Party People. I just didn't get... Yeah, it didn't work for me at all. There's only one Ian Curtis on film for me, and that's Ian Curtis. Yeah, no, fair play. I, yeah, I, to my shame, haven't seen Control, and I've been told that it's very good. And, I mean, I love the music of Joy Division, so it's something that I should definitely get my act together and check out, uh, especially seeing, as you, you know, a diehard Joy Division fan, said that that to you is a really faithful representation of Ian and of the band. Yeah, and it's, you know, the, there was some criticism at the time from a few people saying, oh, it, it focused too much on kind of the kitchen sink drama um, nature of the whole story and the thing is it was partly based on Touching from Distance the book by Deborah Curtis his right. widow yeah. so of course that was going to be it but I also think it gave kind of a heart and a context and a humanistic story to Joy Division which is obviously you know represented in these quite stark terms which is this incredible brand who just kind of as they were hitting their potential Ian's problems became too much and it, bec it becomes a story about that and I think when you put it in the context of what was happening in his life at the time I think it, it adds a whole extra layer to it yeah. and, and as I said the performances are incredible all round and um, the writing's great and it's you know it's again I, I do have a thing for traumatic traumatizing films and it is it's a very difficult watch especially the last kind of 20 minutes or so yeah but it's yes you must 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 see it you must Right. Okay. I, I think I must. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting, you know, you're sort of saying that, yeah, these uh, really dark, depressing films, you know, they're like catnip to you for some reason. So it kind of makes sense that La La Land would be such a, a joyful palate cleanser for you if you're, yeah. you know, really into all the heavy stuff. It's such a surprise. I can't quite get my head around it. I've, I've never, ever been into uh, joyful films ever. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm, I'm really struggling with it. I'm trying to work out where it fits in my brain and I haven't quite got the answer. Um, and uh, I never expected, as I edge towards 40, to, to develop a taste for happiness and joy. Yeah. Well, it's quite disturbing. If you've got any tips on uh, you know, what that means or how to get rid of it, that'd be great. Don't they say that we all mellow out in our old age? Oh, Christ, I hope not. It's really <laughs> yeah. One of my favourite films is Scum and has been since I was like 13 years old. And I'm like, I don't want there to ever be a day where I'm choosing La La Land over Scum because I'm not. I think something will have gone terribly wrong in my life and in my soul for that to happen. Is is Scum? Is that the one in the Borstal? Yes. <laughs> Why do you love that film so much? Robinson's amazing. It's so brutal. It's yeah. incredible. When was the last time you saw it? Uh, I saw it about ten years ago. Go and watch it again. I try and watch it once a year. Um, just to keep it front of mind. It's incredible. Just keep it front of mind. Just keep it front of mind. <laughs> Life should be seen through the prism of some. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, that's that again. It's incredibly traumatising and traumatic and brutal and violent and uh, yeah, makes you despair at society. So give that one a watch. Listen, Terry White, it's been a genuine pleasure talking to you today. And you. A ge- I love that. A genuine pleasure as opposed to a, yeah. you know, a polite pleasure. Yeah, exactly. You could say, oh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. It hasn't really been a pleasure. You're just saying that because it's polite. (laughs) But I say genuine pleasure because it actually was very pleasing to talk to you. So thanks so much for your time today, Terry. Thank you. And that, my friends, was the living legend known as Terry White. Please follow her on Twitter so that you can read all of her excellent tweets. Next up is Mr. Brown, who you will remember is the lovely man who made the theme tune for this show. Mr. Brown and I spoke about his music, his podcast, and a certain TV show that we both love dearly. Enjoy, yeah. Mr. Brown, welcome back to the Smorgasbord. Thanks for uh, inviting me back. Man, this is the first time we've ever had anyone back on the show. Repeat guest. Yeah. Special thing. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Do you feel honoured? Of course. <laughs> well, you helped me get the show off the ground anyway by doing the theme tune and stuff, so I think it's very... Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah, I did. Damn right, repeat guest. <laughs> I think it's fitting that you're, the, uh, that you're the first repeat guest. So, yeah, thanks very much for your time. One of the first things I wanted to talk to you about was your new album that you brought out. That's right, Beats for Days 2. Beats for Days 2. So, number one, where can people buy it? Uh, just go to my website, westaytrue.com, and there's links and all that stuff there. There is, like, a little shop link on the page. Go there, and it will direct you to the shop that has it for sale. Who do you think would like this album? Who would want to listen to it? Fans of instrumental hip-hop. Okay. Pretty much. Like, if you like nice, mellow beats, there's a couple. Well, it's, it's pretty mellow throughout. Um, you know, like, just actual instrumental songs rather than just a beat it's not like you know they're not just four bar loops or whatever there's a bit of structure and arrangement going on and yeah if you like that kind of stuff you probably like it cool so you've done albums before that were kind of meant for people to use to sample or to mix with or something this is a different thing this is music for people to listen to oh yeah i mean everything i've done in the last 
I guess since solo Mr. Brown stuff has been that, has been music for people to listen to. It wasn't like we we did the scratch records back in the day. They were for people to mess with. But yeah, these, you know, the beats on this, it's not like a beat tape that's, that everybody does. That's like, oh, these beats, you could use them and you're, you know, why don't you rap over them? No, no, they're not meant for that. Like, I don't want rappers on them. Like, there's a, that's why they're instrumental. And you're in quite a fortunate position, I'd say, because some musicians would need someone to produce their album and master it and also someone to do the artwork but you're lucky enough to be able to do all that well i say lucky enough talented enough to be able to do all that (laughs) yourself yeah yeah i mean that's really lucky um and i kind of just you know i've got a lot of friends that just make beats and they'll come around to me to to mix it and stuff and i really enjoy doing that like it's I didn't really intend to ever start doing that. Like, I just wanted to make beats. But then at the sort of at the time I got into it, the computer thing wasn't completely viable yet. And so it was more a case of... And, like, people that were advising me on stuff were more on that analog route. So I got into that side of things. So I ended up buying the mixer and buying some outboard gear and learning how to do all of this other stuff. So it just just happenstance that i've just been doing that for years so you know i I don't have to pay somebody it's nice to have an opinion like i've got people i respect that i can get a proper constructive opinion on on stuff that i've done um but other than that yeah i can do it myself so i don't i you know it's just the time to put in to do it i don't have to pay anybody any money i have the equipment to record it all and do everything here the way i want to do um and yeah, I can do, you know I can master it and all of that stuff. So yeah, that saves a lot of time and a lot of money. I think there's a lack in, especially in the scene that I'm involved in, like just the sort of underground hip hop scene. There's definitely a lack of people putting that effort into their projects. Yeah. Like people make good stuff, but they don't. Uh, they'll just do it all on their laptop, and there's nothing wrong with making music on your laptop at all. Like people make some incredible stuff, but then maybe don't go through the process of having someone mix and master that stuff properly. Like you can do it yourself, and you can just use preset plugins and all that kind of stuff. It's more having that outside opinion of somebody who's, who knows what they're talking about. And c- there's so much music out there that could just have sounded so much better than it does if it was just done properly. But nobody wants to spend any money and and all of that. So fortunately, I don't have to because I can do it myself. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, I, I I can see why people cut corners because you know if you're making the whole music from top to bottom using just your laptop, then yeah, you'll think, ah, you know, I don't need to mix it. I don't need to get someone else to do all of this stuff. I can do it all myself. You know, kind of that ability to do everything in one place convinces you that you don't need anyone else maybe yeah uh, and a lot of the times they're, they're giving the music away for free so they're not making a return so they don't you know they've not really laid out any money so they don't have to make a return like i laid out a load of money to do a record i needed to make that back <laughs> yeah. like at least make it back you know because i don't want to put a record out and lose money on it that's not yeah, you know, I'm not into it for the money at all, but if you're going to put that money and all that effort into it, it's nice to make that money back at least. Of course, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of, you know, a lot of that, the stuff that isn't done 
isn't really held to a standard like things used to be because you had like a you had an A&R and a producer and a label and all these people that would hold things to a standard whereas you don't need that any of that anymore which is great because people can put great music out but in amongst that there's so much rubbish because there's no quality control kind of saying no that's not good enough like you could do that better Yep. It's not even like it's an untalented people. Like all the stuff's really good, but it could be so much better if it was just dealt with properly. So that's something I like to do with my music is make sure I'm doing it properly, I think. Okay, fair enough. And final question about the album. Is it available digitally? Yeah, you can get it digitally on all the um if you again if you go to WeStayTrue.com. There's links to uh, my Bandcamp page. You can get it digitally off there. Bandcamp's cool because the money goes straight to me. Uh, But you can get it on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual digital things. Just search for Mr. Brown Beats for Days 2 and you should find it, hopefully. I know it's on all those things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, nice one. Before we go on to talk about Rogue One, which is what I wanted to talk to you about, um, let's just quickly detour and talk about Echo Base, which is your podcast. That's right, yeah. You, which that you've been doing for a few years now. Yeah, we've been doing it for, goodness, probably at least at least six or so years from when we started doing the vid, uh, like used to just do the live video stream on yeah. Ustream since, we're, since we started doing that. Um, and then when I moved here, and we just started doing the audio podcast, uh, and then people moved up, moved and whatnot, and now it's just me doing it basically every, <laughs> every two weeks by myself. Last man standing. Um, yeah, I get guest mixes here and there, and interview and whatnot. What uh, is the show? Like what, what, what's the content? It's basically just the the sort of hip hop, well, not not radio show, but like the hip hop sort of mix show that I'd want to hear. Uh, that just plays good new hip hop without any, you know, no rules, no. No censors, no playlists. Yeah, it's not the Tim Westwood show. No, we just play, you know, we just, <laughs> I, I, well, I just play what I like that's new. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to play good new stuff, regardless of who made it or where it came from. As long as it's good, I play it. Um, and that, yeah, that's what I like about it. And where can people find the Echo Base podcast? Uh, again, we well, can go to the Echo Base page, live from echobase.wordpress.com. Uh, and I always post up the show on there. Uh, it's on the Defect SoundCloud page. Defect hosts it on their SoundCloud page, page for us. Uh, shout out to Matt at Defect. Obviously a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, they host it on their SoundCloud page and on their Mixcloud page. Um, so you can go to either of those to listen to the show, download it from SoundCloud or just stream it from Mixcloud or whatever. We always, I always put the track list up, so if you you know like any of the tracks, go and support them. Go and, if you buy records, go and buy the records. If you buy digital, go and buy the digitals. And uh, yeah, it's just all about playing some good new shit that people might not get to hear on the usual sort of outlets. Nice one, man. So we have. We've promoted your album and we've promoted your podcast, so it's time to get yes, down. It's a promo session. It's <laughs> it's time to get down to the nitty gritty and talk about Star Wars. So you haven't seen Rogue One? No, I've not seen Rogue One. You said to me a couple of weeks ago that you were kind of Star Wars out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I would say. 
I, yeah, I just think it might be like uh, them just dropping a Star Wars film every year is just it's kind of overkill. Yeah. I don't know if they're. I mean, I want to see Rogue One, of course. Like, I'll be. I'm. I'm interested to see it because I've heard mixed reviews. Um, nothing too spoilery. Uh, obviously, Donnie Yen's in it, and that's obviously speaks to both of us because yep. we're kung fu fans, and Donnie Yen is a bad man. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I just don't know if it's a story that needs telling. Like, that's the kind of thing. Like, I don't know if it's like. Do they really need to do this story? But the story does, and this is not a massive spoiler, but it does address one of the major plot holes of A New Hope, which is why in God's name would they design such a massive flaw in the Death Star? Why would that be there? And that's one of the you know, main okay, things Okay, okay, okay. I'm okay with spoilers for films. I don't mind. Okay. Um, but I won't go into it because I don't want to ruin a friend. No, no. You know, I'll watch it eventually, and I'll see what uh, see what I think. You know, I don't need to see an at-at. Like, I'd be wicked if it was a Star Wars film that had none of nothing in that you've seen before, because that would be interesting. Because it'd be that's new. Well, you see, this is the, that's what I thought Rogue One delivered. That's what I felt it delivered. Okay. So, okay. um the reason that I liked it, and I did like it a lot, because I'm hearing a lot of just before I'm hearing a lot of just there's a lot of fan service. But you're one of the one of the people that said it wasn't too okay fan servicey. Well, so. it's it okay. So it does have fan service. Like there's a completely pointless bit where you see. C-3PO and R2-D2 in, like, a shot that's, you know, five frames long. You know, they're barely there, but it's just kind of... They're just thrown in to say, here's some people that you recognise, you know. So there is a little bit of fan service, but The Force Awakens was almost constant fan service. Yeah, it uh, was, yeah. There was so much of it, like, I really enjoyed that film, but... I did so, too. So much of the fan service was unnecessary, like... Finn turning on the holographical chessboard for two seconds, then turn it off just to say, "Hey guys, here's another thing that you know and love." And um, there's a lot less of that I felt in in Rogue One, which is a good thing. But the thing that I really liked about it was that every single Star Wars film that I'd seen before this, all seven Star Wars films that came out before this, there was good and evil, and it was black and white, and there was no there was no blurring of lines. It was very, very distinct. These people are good and they do good things. These people are bad and they want to do bad things. Yeah, sure. But Rogue One introduces all of these shades of grey that you've never seen before in a Star Wars film. So you've got members of the Resistance that we know from all the other films, the ones who, you know, led the Rebellion to try to blow up the Death Star. There's one guy who's in the Resistance and he's talking about things that he's done in the name of... The the rebellion and the revolution and all this stuff and trying to overthrow the empire really evil things like yeah presumably he's killed innocent people or whatever the hell he's done questionable things and he feels bad about it yeah i understand what you mean i mean i've heard it's very dark it is dark but um, it's the moral and it was like it definitely wasn't a christmas movie <laughs> no it definitely wasn't a christmas movie but you know it was the moral ambiguity that I really enjoy okay. because you've never seen that before in a star wars film. no no you're right there yeah absolutely it's always very clear cut. So, uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see it. So another thing that I've been really enjoying recently, and this is something that you have sort of spoken to me about on various different occasions, but I never fully immersed myself in it before, but I have started to do so recently, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. 
and that is the decision to watch from beginning to end the full seven series of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. So, it's so I, good. Yeah, it is really good. Um, it's so good. It's it's funny because I, I remember watching it when it when we it first was on over here. It was on like maybe BBC Two or something. Yeah. Uh, and I remember watching it and, you know, just not really even paying attention to it so much. And then as of recent, I've gone back and watched Next Gen uh, and it's so fucking good. <laughs> it's so much better than any of the other shows. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and I was watching it earlier today before you came round. And it was a wow. What was the episode? It was one where you were just like, if if you were on a starship, like you'd want Picard to be your captain. Of course. Of like course. he's by far the best captain. He's amazing. Yeah, he's he is the best actual captain uh, on any of those any of those shows. Yeah, like it, it's it's just such a brilliant show. I remember when I watched it when I was a kid. It used to be I used to watch it on Sky One. It used to be on at like five p.m. every weekday when I was a teenager, and I'd go home and I'd watch it. And some of my friends were at Trekkies and stuff, and they told me to check it out. And I I liked it when I was young, but I didn't love it. And I'd watch DS Nine and Voyager, and I kind of felt they were all very similar. Like they were all quite boring. They didn't have enough explosions for me. Watching it now, I see it in a completely different way. I see that all the political stuff is, it's not boring at all. It's really interesting. It's really well done. You know, they're always asking really interesting moral questions. Like, it's just so great. And, you know, the acting's quite good. And, yeah, it, it, it deals with really interesting themes. I really love the optimistic nature of Gene Roddenberry. You know, like um, the Jonathan Frakes, who plays Riker, he said that, the thing that he likes the most about Star Trek, one of the things he loves about it is that it's Gene Roddenberry's vision for the future, you know, this this uh, happy idea for the future where everyone can just get along and, you know... Yeah, whatever. when I watch it, it just... Uh, like Or anything that has that kind of vibe about it, especially with regards to the future or space travel, it just makes you feel sad that, oh, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't go and do that. That'd be cool as fuck. <laughs> Like, to travel around the start, it'd be amazing. Imagine how amazing, like, in that sort of, they try now, and it's like you're just strapped to a bomb. <laughs> Whereas that's in luxury. <laughs> you can walk around, you can go to the bar, you can go and see Whoopi Goldberg and yeah, get yeah, yourself say, a beverage. Yeah, just have a couple of pints with Guinan. But yeah, there's so many good episodes. I watched one the other day that I'd seen before. I don't know if you've seen it, where this admiral woman comes on the ship uh, to conduct an investigation. There's been, like, an explosion. As soon as she comes in, you've seen her in a film before, I'm sure. I've seen her somewhere. I was like, oh, yeah, this is she's clearly trouble. And she's conducting this investigation, and it basically turns into, like, a witch hunt. It's, she's, like, accusing everybody, and it gets out of control, and Picard is not pleased he oh, is man. very unhappy and he's he runs a tight ship man like <laughs> it's so amazing like because he kind of calls her on that and he's like i will have to speak to starfleet command and she's like oh, i am acting on orders from starfleet command i do not need anyone's permission you know what i mean and all this stuff um and she's real old biddy as well like you know, like she's throwing her weight around and uh it just comes to a head and picard delivers this speech 
and it's, it's like something her dad said or something, and she loses the plot <laughs> in the courtroom. Like, she properly loses it and just makes herself look like an idiot, and oh they man. throw it all out. Oh, man. And Picard's just sitting there just like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he, he knows. He was just playing this old bitch. <laughs> it's like, man, Jean-Luc. Like, fr- it's so good. Cold-blooded. <laughs> yeah, it's cold-blooded. Like, he knows that that's going to cut so deep. <laughs> like, when he says this shit. And it's it's amazing. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Brown, thanks so much for your time today. No problem. No problem at all. And that, my friends, was Mr. Brown. Please check out his album and his podcast, all of which can be found at WeStayTrue.com. That will do for this episode, guys. Thanks very much for listening, as always. I'll be back in a fortnight with sexy Matt to talk about games and stuff. And then I'll see you all on the 20th of next month for the next Smorgasburde. Thank you. Субтитры